the last several weeks doing a series called Life in the Family, where we've been talking about uh, how God builds our families up and what He wants to accomplish. And today the topic is words that will change your family. Words that will change your family. I'm going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be kind of rushing through this and just kind of hitting some highlights, but I do believe that there's something of value for us this morning. Beginning with verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 4. I was wondering why it wasn't there. I'm in the wrong book. There it is. <laughs> in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer and must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would take these words, which have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be words that we live by, and that you would begin to give each of us direction through the anointing of your Holy Spirit, because there's ways that all of us can apply this that would bring change to our family and be a benefit to our spirit. And so we ask for that direction today. In Jesus' name, amen. There was an angry obituary that was published this week in Redwood Falls, Minnesota, in the Gazette, and it it went viral in a matter of hours. Uh, Many of you probably saw it. But Kathleen Dimlo died on May the 31st in, in Springfield, Minnesota, and her obituary was written by two of her children that as you're you're hearing it, are going to understand the absolute anger that they had lived with. It says that she had married Dennis Dimlo in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. The obituary continues that in 1962, she she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle, and then moved with him to California. Her children wrote, she abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were raised by her parents, She passed away, and here's what they wrote. She will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Wow. Wow. Anger is a huge, huge problem in our world. It also is a problem in the church world, and it's also a problem in many families. During my years in ministry, I've seen many Christian marriages that broke up because of unresolved anger that was expressed in some really inappropriate ways. I've heard of pastors who use anger to intimidate and dominate others within their church. I've seen fathers and mothers who are abusively angry in their words that they express to each other and to their children. I've seen church members angry with other church members to the point of leaving a church rather than being reconciled. And when confronted Almost always, those who are angry will deny it. Almost always. I believe if there was a main takeaway that I would like you to have today, it's this. Families that forgive know how to live. And if you're going to grow, you must let it go. Families that forgive know how to live. And if you're going to grow, you must let it go. And I want to begin by 
saying that in your bulletin today there's an outline of the message and if you'd like to use that to take some notes you can do so. I'm going to be kind of quickly moving through some things but the first point is that the scripture begins to speak to us about practices that we need to avoid. Practices we need to avoid. In this fourth chapter of Ephesians the heading of this chapter would be unity in the body of Christ. In other words, everything that is being spoken here about anger and the way that we treat each other is intended to be spoken to the church. These are people that were in relationship with the Lord. And as you move into chapter 5, we understand that that is a unity in the home and unity in the family chapter. And so you need to know that just because of, of the starkness and the power of the words that are being used here, it's not to the unbeliever, but this is a direction to those who know Christ Jesus. And there were a list of some things that were, we quickly highlighted as, as things that were to be prohibited or things that we are not to allow. Number one, it says, don't sin in your anger. Very clearly, there is a way for us to be angry without sinning. And so for those of you who think that the very emotion of anger automatically leads you to into a place of sin, I want you to understand that is not the truth at all. Anger is an emotion that every one of us will feel, and we're right to feel it from time to time. But the response that we have to anger is what leads us to a place where either we are living in sin or we deal with it appropriately. And so when the scripture says don't sin in your anger, it's not removing the fact that we will ever be angry but speaking to us about our response to that. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. One person put it this way as they were speaking to a couple that was about to get married. Forgive your mate or stay up late. Forgive your mate or stay up late. That there is a certain amount of steam that anger within a marriage can begin to pick up if it is just left alone without having been spoken of or dealt with. And there are some marriages who have some things that are steaming in their relationship that need to be revealed and spoken to one another about. And you need to do that before the sun goes down. The scripture says, don't give the devil a foothold. I believe that there are some of you that have opened the door just a crack. And it's amazing how quickly Satan can get a foot in that. And it doesn't take very much of a crack for him to begin to enter in and begin to plant seeds of discord within a relationship before those begin to grow and take a bitter root in the heart of a person. And so the scripture says, don't give the devil one inch. Don't give in at all to him. Then it says, don't use corrupt conversation. Don't use unwholesome talk. The word unwholesome means that which is bad, that which is decayed, or that which is rotten. Some of your foul language is stinking up your family, and God in his word is addressing it and saying, you need to straighten up and let me, by my spirit, begin to direct your speech more than you in your own anger. And then there's this line. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, when we came to a knowledge of, of, of the Savior, Jesus Christ, when we accepted his grace, he begins to indwell us. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there is living within us the very nature of God through his Holy Spirit, and he motivates us and moves us and changes us from the inside out so that his nature becomes our nature. And so what he is saying is your outward words, your behavior, the things that you say to one another who are supposed to be people that you love can actually grieve the spirit. And so as Christians, we must know that there will be this sense of, of absolute understanding that we are wrong because the Holy Spirit is grieved and we become 
Uh, that check of the Spirit works from the inside out, and we know when we've done wrong. That, that is not to condemn, it is to bring us back into a relationship of God and with God. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then it says, don't hold on to unholy things. And there's a list of things that are mentioned to us that I'm going to get in in just a minute that we are to get rid of. Unfortunately, as you begin to look at the very things that talks about the practices to avoid, it is the very composite picture of a dysfunction that exists in many different families today. But then there's this list of words that we are to absolutely get rid of. And the first one is bitterness. This word means sharp or penetrating. It has the idea of bearing a grudge or a smoldering resentment. In fact, the word in Greek literally is used to describe the fruit of a poisonous plant. One person who was struggling over what was done to this individual in the past said this, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. So deep is my bitterness. Some of you are living in families where there is bitterness that needs to be dealt with. One of the worst cases of family bitterness I have ever come across, I ran across in a well-written, in, in a will that was written in 1935 by a Mr. Donahue. He was speaking to his daughters in this will, and listen to what he wrote. Unto my two daughters, Frances Marie, Denise Victoria, by reason of their not having shown the qualities associated with being good daughters toward a doting father, I leave the sum of one, daughter, uh, of one dollar each and a father's curse. May their lives be fraught with misery, unhappiness, and poignant sorrow. May their deaths be soon and of a lingering, malignant, and torturous nature. May their souls rest in hell and suffer the torments of the condemned for eternity. Wow. Somewhere along the line, this father let some things settle in his spirit that was never dealt with. H.E. Fosdick put it this way. Bitterness and hatred of people is like burning down your house to get rid of a rat. If you allow this into your life... It will take over your thinking, and it will ruin the way that you deal with people. The second word that is mentioned here is rage. This is a blazing fire that explodes and consumes everything in its path. It's like flying shrapnel or words that wound far and wide. And I won't ask for a show of hands because everybody probably could raise their hand of knowing people that every time they open their mouth, it's like a bomb went off in the wake of everything that they say. This is rage, and this is what the Scripture says. You must get rid of this from your homes if you desire to have peace. Then there's listed anger, which is a deep resentment that bubbles below the surface, and it looks for an opportunity to have someone touch it so that it can blast out its shadow. And anger refuses to be pacified. Brawling is listed. It refers to a violent public outburst quarrelsome shouting. Some of you grew up in homes where this was the communication style you grew up with and you never learned anything different and many of you have brought that into your own relationships and the Holy Spirit desires to deal with that today and ask that there's a new way to live and a new way to communicate. Slander is speech that's injurious and it demeans the character of somebody else and malice which is the desire to injure others and make them pay a price for causing us so much pain. Nancy DeMoss, in her book, Choosing Forgiveness, 
writes of one of the characters in Charles Dickens' great novel, Great Expectations. And she states in her book that it makes me think of Miss Havisham. Her pain is great because on her wedding day, at 20 minutes to 9, she received the numbing word that her groom had run away with another woman. And from that moment on, her life stopped, it seemed. Every clock in her house stopped precisely at the fateful hour of 20 minutes to 9. Her drapes were pulled. Her life was to be lived in seclusion. The wedding cake that was purchased sat there rotting on her table, and it became a feast for all of the mice that were living there. She never changed out of her wedding dress, and that now had changed colors and turned yellow and began to fade and rip. And Pip, who was the main character in the story, wonders why this spectacle has happened. And Miss Havisham gives this depressing analysis. On this day of the year, long before you were born, this heap of decay was brought here. It and I have worn away together. The mice have gnawed at it, and sharper teeth than the teeth of mice have gnawed at me. These teeth are sharp edges of bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. As I read that, I wondered how many people do we know that the clocks in their life stopped at a precise moment where somebody hurt them and they have chosen to live in that moment forever rather than forgiving and moving on. You speak to them and the one thing that they will tell you is you say, tell me about yourself. Instantly they begin to open up about why they are the way they are. Here's the wound that happened to me and the clock of my life stopped in that very moment and I've chosen to stay right there where it hurts the worst. And I've chosen to live in bitterness and unforgiveness. Has the clock stopped in your life? Have some of the attitudes of your heart brought you to a place where your marriage is made up of malice? Is your family no longer functioning well because of some unholy habits? The scripture says, get rid of them, which means throw them away. The phrase actually means, and the getting rid of it means, to take a ship that is anchor and lift the anchor. Each of us know people that have anchored their life in a place of hurt. They've anchored their life to a wound that they have experienced and they've chosen. Rather than moving on, I am going to stay right here and I'm just going to meditate on this. And who I am is made up of this particular injury that happened. And I want you to know that today the Lord desires that you'd rip up that anchor and you would let the Holy Spirit begin to breathe on you and move you into new places where you can move past the things that have held you back. It's dangerous to hold on to hatred. It's time to repent, to change your mind. Start, stop justifying your attitudes and actions by feeling as if you have a right to those because of what somebody else has done to you. And the Lord today wants to speak life that will change your life and change the words that your family uses so you can move on. Next that were listed were practices to embrace in this scripture. In verse 32 it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. It's not difficult for us to describe what words like kindness means, except that in this particular instance, what it, what it really means is that our life would be one of constant kindness, that the Holy Spirit living in us should move through our pores in such a way that our very being and the thing that we are known for is the kindness by which we respond to people, not necessarily prompted by what other people do, but because of the nature of God living within us, it moves us in places where we automatically respond with kindness. 
He says, be compassionate. Which means that in our own families, if there are things that are going on in your wife's life or your husband's life that cause them to weep, then weep with them. If your children are hurting, hurt with them. But when they're rejoicing, rejoice together. Let there be unity in the house as you bind yourself together in a compassionate way. 1 Peter 3.8 sums up how we should treat each other this way. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. And from that, it leads us into this place of be forgiving. After being kind and compassionate, we are to practice forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This word forgiving is one that likewise is an, is an active word. It's not something you do once and then say, Ooh, I'm forgiving. Did you see that? It's talking about an attitude and an action that is constantly lived out because the prompting of that comes from the inward work of the Holy Spirit within our life. My wife and I have a statement that we use often with each other when, when there are things that are taking place and we just simply say, don't let it reach your heart. Don't let that word reach your heart. Don't let that criticism reach your heart. Keep it at a place where the, the fiery dart that has been sent your way can be quenched in the shield of faith, but don't let it reach your heart. And I believe that we as children of God need to learn to live that way, where we forgive in such a way that things don't reach our heart where it can be planted deep. In fact, without forgiveness, do we really have a model of Christianity? Because this is how the Father has treated each of us. He has forgiven us a great deal. In fact, when he uses words that describe how he has forgiven us, he uses things like he has blotted out all of our sin. Now, I'm going to use an illustration that some of you that are my age are going to understand. Some of you younger generation are not going to know a, word, a thing about it. But years ago when we used to type, we had something called whiteout. Any of you, any of you know what, what whiteout is? There's a few old people in here too. We would be typing along, and if we misspelled a word, we had to roll the thing up and we pulled out with this little white paint and we would paint over that word and then we put it back and then you blow on it because you wanted to dry it out real quick because if you typed on it when it was still wet then it was going to mess up the tape on your typewriter and the word was going to look bad and everybody know you made a mistake so you know but this is the image that God gives to us when he's speaking of forgiving us he takes the record and he just blots it out I mean it's like it's not even there and then he moves from that and says, if that's not a good enough illustration for you, he says, then I will lift your sins and carry them away as far as the east is from the west. Now, there are times when I love going out at night and looking up into the sky and in places where it's dark, you can just see billions of stars. And the idea that space never ends is just beyond my ability to comprehend. And so is the idea that there is an east from a west, that just... That God has taken the things that you have done and removed them so far from you that there's never-ending movement to your sin away from you. That's how far he takes and forgives and how, how completely he forgives us. He speaks of releasing us from a debt that he paid in full on the cross. And so anything that we owed has been paid. It's over with. And he shows grace to each of us who have sinned greatly. And then he speaks to us and said, this is the example for how we are to demonstrate forgiveness in our own families and in our own homes and in our own life. Because families that forgive know how to live. And if you're going to grow, you must let it go. So here are some points to ponder. Forgiveness is a costly activity. When somebody sins, they create a debt. And when 
there's a debt created, somebody's going to have to pay it. And that's what Jesus did for us. God is the only solution to the human problem of sin. And the only way it could be dealt with was through his forgiveness and his sacrifice. And so there's a direct connection between our spiritual health and our willingness to seek forgiveness and grant grace to those who have sinned against us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 said this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So I ask you this, who do you need to forgive in your family? A parent? A child? A sibling? A grandparent? An uncle? An aunt? A cousin? Who else comes to mind? Maybe you need to pick up the phone or you need to write a letter. And you need to ask for forgiveness because families that forgive know how to live. And if you're going to grow, you must let it go. I heard this week of a funeral that took place of a man that had passed away who had two sons. And because of an argument that he had had with his youngest son, his youngest son didn't even come to the funeral. Wanted nothing to do. And I kept wondering in my heart, I wonder at what stage that that youngest son will feel like the price was too much to pay. This wasn't worth the bitterness that I was carrying. And then there's practical forgiveness. Here are some ideas that may help us give the gift of forgiveness and ask for a release from the wrongs that have been committed against us, whether it be from family members or others. Remember, forgiveness is not an option to the Christian life. It's not an option. It's part and parcel of what it means to be a child of God. Number one, stop playing the gotcha game. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, I use this scripture a lot in weddings. In fact, I use it a lot when I'm talking to couples that are going to get married when it says, keep no record of wrongs. How many of you know there are some scriptures that are really easy to read and really hard to do? This is, this is one of those. Because I might not have a book on the outside, but written in my heart, in some of my best handwriting, is a book that I keep a record that I have to constantly work to hand over to the Lord because the things that we remember the most are things that we think people have done against us and so we begin to take those things down and in marriages this is especially difficult for, for people to begin to get by because if one spouse is going to keep a record of wrongs then they can pull it out and use it whenever they want to manipulate the other or whenever they want them to feel bad or whenever I want you to do what I want you to do or whenever I think you owe me something here's my book and we rip our heart open and we pull it out and listed in it is all the record of wrongs and the scripture simply says to us that real love keeps no record of wrongs and today I'm going to ask that you rip that up in the spirit and never write another word in it create a culture of forgiveness in your home for those of you who are parents of small children let me make a suggestion instead of having your children stand in front of each other when they've done something wrong and 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 tell them to say I'm sorry why don't you have them say I was wrong please forgive me Cindy and I, through the years, have had our children stand in front of each other, and we've discovered, do you know that you can have an attitude? You can say, make them say something, but an attitude doesn't necessarily have to be there. Some of you have kids, tell them you're sorry. I am sorry. Oh, very good. I am so proud of you. God is so happy with you. You said the right words. I, we can say the right words with a really lousy attitude, but if we learn that in humility, I was wrong. Please forgive me. 
And if you teach your children to say those words, not only will it build within them a sense of humility, but it also teach your other child or whoever it is that would say that too, not to say, oh, it's no big deal. No, that's all right. No, say, teach them to say, I forgive you so that we can recognize that there is humility and there is completion in both asking for forgiveness and receiving it. It teaches us to acknowledge our sin. If someone has sinned against you, Release them from ever having to pay you back. Um, thank you for all of your Facebook notes this week congratulating me on getting old. <laughs> I've had a wonderful birthday week. And while I was perusing all of the posts that you wrote to me, I, I, I began to look down. And, and some of you have seen these kind of posts that an individual apparently does something really nice for somebody else and they either don't respond or they, they respond in a negative way and so you see things like no good deed that goes unpunished and, and I've seen some of those and it indicates to me that somebody did something nice for somebody else with a full expectation that they would be appreciated for it. And what happened is when there was no appreciation that came for it, they suddenly dropped an anchor on that bitterness and said, not only am I angry about this, I'm going to tell the whole Facebook world just how angry I am about this. Not that I'm bitter. I'm a Christian. I've got this covered. But I just want the millions of people that are a part of Facebook just to all know how rotten I was treated in this. And, and, and we begin to write in that little book of wrongs in our spirit. So here's a practical assignment for you. Take a piece of paper, and I want you to write down the names of everybody who has sinned against you. Next to their name, I want you to write down what it is that you are holding against them, what it is they've done. In the third column, I want you to write out how you're going to respond, and then I want you to forgive them. And then when you're all done with that piece of paper, and for some of you it may be a ream of paper, when you're all done with that, I want you to crumple it up and throw it in the garbage and let it go. And let it go. And then I want you to move to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and I want you to memorize this verse that says this. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Because here's the thing. As we're all making out our list, do you know that your name is going to be on somebody else's list? Somebody's going to be writing out a list of things, and your name is going to be on their list. So you better hope that they, like you, will crumple it up and throw it away and let you off the hook as you have let them. There are four promises in the book Peacemaker by Ken Sandy that I just loved and I want to mention to you really quickly. Number one, when you have done this, determine in your heart that you will never, never dwell on this incident again. Determine in your heart that you won't bring it up again and you won't use it against anybody again. Determine in your heart that you will never talk about it again with anybody else. And determine that you will not let this incident stand between you and the person with whom you have held that grudge, but you will restore the personal relationship. If you will do that, you will begin to understand that to those who have been forgiven little, loves little, but those who have been forgiven much, loves much. When I begin to think of what God has done for me, I can't help but think of how disappointed he would be if I were not to extend that same level of grace to others. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would please come. But if you begin to practice this, you will discover that families that forgive know how to live. And if you're going to grow, you must let it go. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning.
And that as we sing this morning, you'll begin to let the Lord do a work within your heart. And then we're going to conclude this service afterwards in prayer together.
your heads for a moment, no one looking around. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Doug, I, I recognize that I've not been very good about tearing up the book of wrongs in my heart. Maybe the clock in your life has stopped at an event that you'd never be able to get past and it has held you back from some things that God wants to give you. Or maybe you anchored yourself on the biggest, deepest hurt that you've had in your life and you've never been able to unhook that anchor. And today the Lord is speaking to you and says, I want to address those issues in your life. If you're here today and you would like me to pray for you, then I just ask that you'd slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. Yes, 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 yes many across the room today. Father God, as we stand before you, we recognize that it's only through your Holy Spirit that you begin to draw us to places where when we step out of the shadows of bitterness and anger that we step into the glory of your healing power. Father, by the upraised hands this morning, I recognize that your word was hitting a spot in people's hearts. Some of them, Lord, it feels as if every clock in their life stopped at a certain event or they've anchored on the deepest hurt and they've not been able to move forward and their families have suffered for it and their, their ability to forgive and move forward has stopped. And so today I pray that you would treat us and teach us how to say words that will change our family, that we can be, begin to speak to each other in ways that forgive. And I ask today that you would break the anchors that have kept people in the hurts of their life and let them sail on in the breath of the Spirit to new places. I ask for families that are sitting there today side by side that long ago forgot about letting the sun set on their anger and they've been seething. And it's caused a division between them. I ask today in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing to that issue. Let them speak with honesty and love and speak words that will not lead them into sin but will lead them to health so that you can do a work within their life. I ask for those that have written again and again and again in the book of bitterness and they've harbored things that today they would open up their heart and let you rip out the pages that they have written and set other people free so that they can begin to move on with a pure heart. Because, Lord, when you covered our sin, you blotted it all away. You tore it away and you moved it so that you'd never remember it against us again. May we be more like you and less like us so that we can have words that bring healing. I pray for every hand raised today that today would be a defining moment that would change their heart and ultimately change and restore families and bring peace to your church, Lord so that we can move forward in the righteousness of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.